For this week's episode, we are going to talk about the topic of sexual violence and rape, so this is just a trigger warning. Welcome to the seventh episode of Dialuika. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Swedian. And this week, we're going to continue talking about rape following the Yuyun case uh, in our last episode. And Swedian's back, so he wants to chime in on some of these topics. Yes, I'm back. He's itching to <laughs> discuss. And, um, and this week, we're actually going to focus on Jokowi's legislations to punish child rapists more heavily. Which includes chemical castration, informing the public about the identity of these rapists, as well as electronic ankle bracelets. We're going to delve deeper into chemical castration, so the science behind it, and whether or not it's actually a helpful technique in reducing rape. Especially also reducing recidivism, which is the chance or rate of repeat offense. And we also want to use this issue as a launching pad to talk deeper into the more insidious and deeper causes of rape, instead of uh, accepting that any kind of punishment toward rapists will solve the problem. In general, how as a society can we address and cope with the fact that rape exists, and how can we prevent it? So here's to it. Briefly about what's being debated right now on the, I guess, legislative floor. Um, Jokowi issued a perpu, which is a peraturan pemerintah penggantian undang-undang, basically an amendment to the current bill on how should child rapists and child molesters be punished. So just to further clarify, the perpu does not cover anyone who is over the age of 18 if they were raped. So if a woman who was 19 was raped, it falls under the jurisdiction of the old laws. So this law only covers for uh, the rape of children. So this kind of gap has been criticized widely by activists. Why doesn't this purple made by Jokowi cover uh, rape of all women? And um, the answer is that this will be legislated further in the Eru'u, which will be designed by the DPR to cover more comprehensively on ending the violence against women. But a lot of people are somewhat more skeptical because some members of the DPR has already talked about whether or not this kind of law was necessary, arguing that stricter control on alcohol, drugs, and strengthening the police apparatus was necessary instead. And so... There's a lot of problems here. Um, however, it is. I think it's a positive to uh, changing the mindset of people, cre- uh, making sure that rape is considered a serious crime. The other thing that the purple also covers is it increases the maximum penalty from 10 years to 20 years and includes provisions for electronic ankle monitoring as well as chemical castration. Uh, starting with chemical castration, it's this idea of using chemicals and drugs to chemically, within your own body, reduce your libido and sex drive. You don't actually do any surgical, whatever, removing of any sex organs. And so it happens through a regimen of drugs that is prescribed to the rapists over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So one common way, instead of just taking oral drugs, is that you can be injected with Depovera, which is actually a female sexual reproduction hormone. hormone. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, no, it's a female sexual oh. reproduction, like birth control. So it's a Depovera shot. So it's a lot of the drugs that are used to inhibit chemical castration 
is related to fem- feminine hormones. That is true, because a lot of the discussion is around this idea of testosterone. Yeah. Uh, whether or not rapists have high amounts or excess amounts of testosterone, and so you counter that with using female hormones. There's a lot of different kinds of drugs that people are given. There are also non-hormone drugs. There's an antipsychotic drug called benperidol, which is also used. And it's not actually clear in the law or in our Indonesian history how that's going to be done and what's going to be used. And there are some people, depending on the drug that's used, that are going to have a negative reaction to these drugs and are going to gain weight or be bloated or some, or maybe have depression as a result. Actually, one of the most common side effects of these drugs, especially if you administer the female hormone drugs, mm-hmm. is that you have breast enlargement. Oh yeah, that is true. Yeah, so... Man boobs. Man boobs. What is interesting here to me is the idea that it's reducing a male's sexual drive is going to reduce rape, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this leap of logic. Somehow reducing a male's hormones is going to reduce their libido and then therefore reduce their likelihood or ability to sexually assault and rape. Which somehow for me also reduces like the agency of mm-hmm. men. Like, you know, saying that they are a rapist because they are a victim of their own uncontrollable libido. Mm-hmm. Rapists are not some exceptional kind of person. Yeah. They're all, you know, they're not some deviant. Every one of us, whether you're comfortable or not with this fact, is capable. I shouldn't everyone in society, whether you're male, female, or anything in between, agree that rape should not happen and we should do whatever we can to reduce rates of it, right? actually in Indonesia are misunderstanding chemical castration as castration. No and one's cutting off male genitals here, mm-hmm. um, in Indonesia at least, Yeah, unfortunately. One thing I want to point out about chemical castration is because some people confuse chemical castration with surgical castration. Mm-hmm. Chemical castration is not permanent. Mm-hmm. It is reversible because it's based on a regimen of drugs taken over a course of time. Mm-hmm. So that when you, as the rapist, as the person who's the recipient of the drug treatment, is off the treatment, over time, it's going to come back. Like the, the effects that was once suppressed by the drugs, yeah. it's going to come back. But yeah, but actually another thing that was interesting in Indonesian news was that um, a lot of doctors are not that happy with chemical castration mm-hmm. just because they have this policy of do no harm and they may yep. consider doing chemical castration as doing harm. It's, it's a valid point. Yeah. Because it's the same, I think it's a similar argument to how some doctors don't want to administer drugs for a death penalty. Yeah. Um, situation right but if anything i am kind of iffy about this blowback against chemical castration right Mm -hmm. what are we saying if the idea of chemical castration which is reversible and makes some kind of sense is something that is shunned or something something that society is really scared about what is it about taking the virility of men that really scares men and society if anything just the chance of reducing rape in the future should just be accepted right but I actually really want to talk about also the rate of recidivism in mm-hmm. uh, chemical castration, surgical castration, and no, cast- no castration. And how long are they going to repeat their offense? The study they've done is in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. So the rates for this and non-repeat offenders are actually all 
relatively similar. So mm-hmm. it, essentially, there is no big difference between chemical castration, surgical castration, and no castration in the rate of rapists recommitting the act. The sex crimes researchers of Public Safety Canada did a large-scale meta-analysis or cognitive review. So basically, this calculates all of the statistics and crimes they have in Canada mm-hmm. to check whether or not someone who is already convicted and tried is going to commit rape or some other violent crime again. Whether or not they're going to be a repeat offender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they found that in Canada, different types of sex crimes exhibit very different rates of recidivism. Mm-hmm. So if someone who was an incest perpetrator, so in this case, which is covered by the Puerto their 15-year rate of recidivism is 13%. So almost one in every 10 convicted rapists in America. Would commit the crime again in 15 years? Yeah. Okay. With not in 15 years, but between 1 to 15 years. Between 1 to 15 yeah. years, okay. Um, and then for general rapists, it's 24%. So okay. women rapists. One out of four. Yes. Okay. Great. And it's 35% for child molesters of boy victims. That's an alarming statistic. As the society in general and the government trying to figure out a criminal justice system to cope with rapists, mm-hmm. you got to think about whether or not these measures such as chemical castration, mm-hmm. surgical castration or whatever, how are they going to affect recidivism, right? Like uh, repeat offenders, um, that seems like a bigger issue that's more than just about what, mm-hmm. what punishment you get for your first crime. If anything, I want to focus on just convicting more rapists and making the system more robust and really ensure the fact that they get some sort of punishment. Mm-hmm. So one thing we should note when we're talking about rates of recidivism, that only covers men who were convicted of rape. It doesn't at all cover men who raped other women but did not face any kind of consequences. And that's a whole new different ballgame. Question for you. Do you think this is something that's... Do you think the prison sentence makes a big deal, the length of the prison sentence? I think it's the whole drama of being convicted... You know, everybody knows you're a rapist. Mm-hmm. And that shame and that kind of like awareness that you did something wrong is very important. Because a lot of men who rape are not aware that they're necessarily doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. So, for example, three quarters of Indonesian men who rape admitted they did so because they, f- they feel entitled to sex. So this idea that, especially, for example, if you have a wife or a partner, a long-term partner you feel entitled to their bodies and getting whatever you want, you know? So I think a lot of people, uh, with this case, I think people have this conception that rape is, like, very brutal and very, like... Some sort of exceptional act. Yeah, like, because the only kind of rape cases that are being brought up are, you know, very exceptional cases, right? Like the Indian case, yeah. Someone who ends up dying. But Mm -hmm. most of rape doesn't happen under these circumstances, what this case should bring up is like, what is rape exactly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, rape is just any kind of sexual act that is not consented to by any parties. So that can be from uh, pressuring someone to sleep with you, to making someone drunk enough to want to do that, to like, and then that the opposite end would be like rape ending in death, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a scale of like forcing your power over somebody else at the expense of their consent. Yeah. As a society, we need to understand rape as a spectrum and figure out how do we create and establish 
both criminal justice systems as well as cultural and social systems to cope with that. So besides, you know, convicting people of rape, what what can we do about it, right? So we've been really vocal about talking about other things. And mm-hmm. one thing is definitely rape prevention or rape education or just education on sexual violence. The basic overview on rape prevention and risk reduction has been categorized in several ways, right? But one way we can categorize this is by rape prevention programs for men. So creating programs and like educational programs for men in general on educating them what is rape, um, how you can frame the topic of sexual violence. A framing an ecosystem where men recognize the possibility for rape and how do you prevent that possibility from happening as the, even though obviously we haven't even discussed about rape against men, mm-hmm. but men understanding that they are the primary and the most common perpetrators and culprits of rape. So how do you prevent that coming from them? What's interesting in these kind of programs are usually it's run by males, for males, so it's definitely catered towards like how a uh, normal guy would think about these issues, right? If men confront men about the questions of rape and about issues of rape, there's something powerful there. Yeah, it questions the normalcy of, you know, forcing a Mm -hmm. woman, right? Like, let's say if I talk to a group of guys about rape, that would not go as well, or there'll be, of course, I'm going to think that way. It makes them think that you're just never going to understand the way males think. You know, I, as a guy, statistically speaking, I, ha- I am, I am always a potential rapist. Mm-hmm. And so if I can come up and say to somebody, you know, you shouldn't do this, that's powerful because I'm changing my potential. Yeah. Right, I'm changing their potential. Yeah. And actually, a lot of this is related to Aliansi Lakilaki Baru, another uh, Indonesian uh, organization that tries to change the mindset of men regarding sexual violence and attitude towards women. Shout out to Aliansi Like Like Baru. So that's that's talking about rape prevention programs for men, right? So what's what's up for women? For women, as if women don't have to be paranoid enough already, there are <laughs> risk reduction programs for women, which tells them how not to get raped. Moving on. I don't give a crap about this technique because all women are enoughly paranoid about this. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I find really interesting is by standard education programs. Mm-hmm. So just making programs where it's a mixed group of programs where it's talking about how we can change social norms in our culture. How can we recognize signs of an abusive relationship, signs of something going on that's potentially can lead to rape or like how to intervene in social situations, right? And I like that this kind of program is a proactive program. It's giving you the power and the agency to say, hey, you should be intervening Mm -hmm. when you see something that could potentially become sexual violence. So I think it's also really cool just because if by doing this, you can teach men it's wrong to do these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it creates this accountability right in society that we need to prevent things from going on. So there's one campaign in India that's really interesting. It's called Bel Bajau. It's mm-hmm. created. It's a program created for Indian people in both rural and urban areas. So yeah. if they hear, you know, um, signs of domestic violence or abuse, people are encouraged to like come to their house when they hear that happening and just press the bell and leave. So like just uh, noting and making people aware that 
they know this is going on and mm-hmm. try to stop that cycle of violence to continue and like create some sort of accountability. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of program that we should try implement in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. It's about this opening up of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, when a case, when a sexual violence case happens in, in our society, we cannot just think that that's an isolated case. Yeah. Whenever I'm out with my friends and um, and I, I always feel like, especially when it's later in the night and you see like drunk girls or whatever, I go out of my way to be, you know, very concerned, like, if they're alone or if they seem too really intoxicated and they're being like, hey, are you okay? Let me know if you need any help or like um, if someone's bothering you, right? Mm-hmm. Like just seeing how in each circumstance there can be a way for you to help someone who needs it the most. Yeah. For me as a guy, we're always like, if, if a group of guys and a group of girls are going out, mm-hmm. we're cognizant of the fact that we should take care of each other, mm-hmm. of the whole group. Mm-hmm. And so if you see somebody that's more intoxicated or is being harassed you got to be able to step in even though everybody has their own agency Mm -hmm. to do things but we also have an agency to make sure nothing that's not consented happen yeah and i think what i really like about this as well is like um i think it encourages people if they see these kind of abusive relationships happen like just to be there and or especially for men to make other men accountable, right? And this one and in the male prevention programs, if you can change the minds of at least one more male to become more aware, he can be an agent of change to his group of friends. And that is a very important part of changing societal behavior. Part of why I really want to push on this topic of educating boys and men from the young age to really talk about topics of sexism and feminism and Mm -hmm. the idea of accountability. Yeah. Because... We never went through high school or nobody goes to high school being taught about sexual violence or, or consent. consent. We're taught about how sex works. Yeah. That's it. And you wonder. It's yeah, like, like why isn't that included in sex education? Yeah, that should always be. Because I think in general, like even if we're not talking about sexual just, violence, consent is, is, is necessary. More important than knowing how the P and the V works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is true. That stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like we need to create a, we need to rehabilitate the culture so that we can talk about consent in a constructive way. Yeah. When we talk about how we cope and treat rapists, we also need to talk about the culture in which rapists come from, in which rape yeah. happens. And how do we prevent that? How do we fix that? That's on us. That's on us. We as a country need to step up on the whole issue in general. Mm-hmm. This is not a... This is ground zero. This yeah. is where it starts. That's our episode for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode. And as usual, music credits to Ryan Little, Brooke for Free, and Jazar. And as always, links about these topics in greater detail on our website, delodica.id. And like us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and check us out. And you can see the back catalog of our episodes there as well. Oh, and um, please do email us your comments, feedbacks to dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook. And we'd love to hear suggestions into what topics interest you and 
maybe a listener request on particular topics or just general feedback that we suck. I'd love to hear from you. Essentially. Delica Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, see you in two weeks. Bye.